Okay, here we go. That was the opening music to Border Incident, released in 1949 by MGM and directed by Anthony Mann and uh, starring Ricardo Montalban, George Murphy, Howard De Silva, James Mitchell, Alfonso Bedoya, he was good, uh, and many others. And uh, you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at www.classicmoviereviews.net or in iTunes or Apple Podcast. Just search for Classic Movie Reviews and look for the black and white logo with the film reel on it. And in Facebook, if you search for classicmoviereviews.net, you'll find us there. We have a page. And actually, we've had quite a few comments and some good discussion going on uh, via the Facebook page. So thank you for, for that. And I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm recording from Seattle, where we are having spring-like weather. Despite the deep freeze happening in the Midwest, it's like 50 degrees Fahrenheit here wow. uh, this morning. It's awesome. We should be fortunate that we're not in uh, the Midwest, where I saw a temperature this morning on CBS News that uh, the low in Duluth, Minnesota, was 50 below. Woo! That's 100 degrees colder than here. Oh. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not planning any trips here. This is Bob Johnson in Los Angeles, where we're having rainy weather today and the rest of the week, so it's a little bit like what I remember Seattle weather to be. And we want to welcome everybody back to uh, Classic Movie Reviews. I've been enjoying... All the comments. It seems like the number of comments and the ratings has uh, increased as our listenership has gone up, and uh, we appreciate that. All comments are welcome. Um, border incident. I think I selected this because it seemed to be timely, given the uh, the uh, challenges and the controversy around the U.S.-Mexican border currently. Uh, in the news and and we see it unfolding so i wanted to see what this was like and uh, i wasn't disappointed uh it, it it's a it's a little less detailed and it's more of a it has a flavor of a crime drama as much as the uh, immigration issue but i i really liked uh watching it and uh, i think that's partly due to anthony mann who's such a wonderful director did over 40 films some of which uh, we've, we, we have either reviewed or we will review. The Glenn Miller story from 1954, wonderful a film with Jimmy Stewart, and one that's uh, pretty exciting, The Heroes of Telemark from 1965, about the plan to uh, blow up the uh, early stages of the uh, Nazi uh, effort to build an atomic bomb. And that starred uh, Kurt Douglas. But Anthony Mann does a really nice job of putting this together for MGM. Yeah, I like the um, I liked how you described it as a crime drama because I read a lot of things online saying that it's um, film noir. And then I kind of dove deeper into some of the comments and reviews and 
a lot of people pointed out that it's really not film noir because it lacks quite a few of the hallmarks of film noir. Uh, but it, but it definitely has that feel to it with the cinematography and, and kind of the darkness of the way that they f- filmed it. And, uh, I guess a part of the film noir part of it to me too is he's got a, it's got a really good bad guy in it, you know? <laughs> oh, no kidding. Yeah. So yeah, I would categorize it more as a crime drama. Uh, and then the border kind of political aspects of it. Man, I, I can't wait to talk about some of that. I, I thought that was really super interesting to go back to 1949 and be thinking about some of the same exact things that we're thinking about today. I know, 70 years, and in some ways it, it hasn't changed much. Uh, one of the things that happens now is that there's so much coverage of it. Back in that era, it was, uh, you know, radio and newspapers and occasionally maybe television, but... Uh, a little bit about the, uh, the cast, I guess, before we jump into the, the movie. Ricardo Montalban. Uh, I'm saving the best for the last <laughs> on Ricardo. He's so awesome. He, 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 he is, he, he's a wonderful, wonderful actor and, and, um, did just dozens and dozens of films. I think he did 68 films plus many TV shows, but some of the more memorable films that he did were 1949 in Battleground, a, a, a depiction of the Battle of the Bulge during the Second World War. And a favorite movie of mine, which uh, we've not talked about doing, but I, I, I would say it sh- we should add it to the list, from 1950, Mystery Street, which is kind of a forerunner of the uh, procedural crime dramas that we see today on television. Oh, that'd be cool. And the, dir- and the director... Of course, is John Sturgis. Ah, well, yeah, we gotta add him to the list. Uh, add that to the list. It, it was filmed primarily on location in Boston, and it's an excellent, excellent drama. He, uh, Ricardo plays the lead detective in a murder mystery. Uh, he remember the Naked Gun? Yeah, yep. Uh-huh. Files from the Police Squad from 1988. <laughs> he was the guy that had to watch our favorite hero try to get a thing out of a fish tank. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he was i didn't realize fish. he was in escape from planet of the apes too yes oh uh, and conquest i think it, conquest of the planet of the apes he was in a couple of them and we it would we we can't uh forget to mention fantasy island where he played mr rourke from 1978 to 1984 yeah i think that might be what he's most well known for and and of course uh con from Star Trek. Well, and, and then, yes, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Well, here goes. We The last time we talked about Ricardo, we wondered about the chess that he had in The Wrath of Khan. So after doing extensive research, <laughs> I, have, I have determined, based on comments from the director and the staff and cast of that movie, that that really was Ricardo's chess, that he had... Worked out and worked out and worked out to develop that so that he would have it for the movie, which is amazing to me because at the time of the movie he was sixty-two years old. He looks great. Yeah, he was in he good does. shape. He yeah. And then I, I I remember I found that he had had that same role on one of the television episodes of Star Trek. I had forgotten. Well, that. right, because that's where the character originated that, was in the TV the original Star Trek TV series, and then they brought that character back for the second movie. 
Well, and then so they also I, I, brought it, brought that character back in the revival uh, recently. I think it was the second movie of the new series, right? Oh, I haven't. I did not know that. Who? I wonder who played him. Oh goodness, um, it's the guy who. Well, he, it's the guy that played Doctor Strange um, in the in the Avengers movies. Oh goodness, Benedict Cumberbatch played uh, Khan in. He, he, is that right? Yeah. Oh yeah. wow. I did not know that. Well, then our other lead uh, person in this, well, uh, just an aside, uh, Charles McGraw plays the most evil bad man I've ever known in in film noir or in movies. He is evil. God. It's hard to imagine that he went on to play uh, that detective in uh, Narrow Margin. But anyway. Well, no, is it Charles McGraw wasn't the bad guy. Was he? Well, he was the guy that ran over our detective with that... uh, piece of equipment oh right okay yeah yeah yep yep because he, he wasn't the only bad guy but because howard de silva played the 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 main boss guy right oh yeah yeah he was in this for the money and the uh the lifestyle that it created for but george him, yeah. mcgraw was the one who oh that scene yeah let's not go, let's not talk Gra- yeah. about that yeah we'll save that for a little later was... <laughs> yes okay well back to george murphy a- another interesting man who was in over 40 films um, he he was a U.S. senator. He was elected to the U.S. Senate here in California from 1965 through 1971. Then he was defeated by uh, Mr. Tunney, Gene Tunney's son, uh, Gene Tunney being a boxer. And uh, the new Senator Tunney is apparently the uh, senator that was used in the writing of the script for The Candidate, Robert Redford's movie in 1972, where he plays a little-known uh, person that wins the Senate race, and that was patterned after Senator Tunney. But any anyway, George Murphy, he was the president of the Screen Actors Guild from uh, 44 to 46, and he had a varied career. He was also in Battleground from 1949, and another World War II movie, Batan, from 1943, and then a movie that John and I watched a couple weeks ago, a spy espionage film, Walk East on Beacon Street about, from 1952 about the stealing of uh, atomic uh, plans by the Soviet Union. Uh, doing a little bit of research on him, he was really big into like the musical and dance kind of number movies. Like he he had danced with oh, yes. Gene Kelly and kind of that's how he got his start, right? I think on Broadway he got his start with his wife, and then I, I believe so. Yes. Yeah. So it was kind of a switch for him to go from from those kinds of movies to something like Border Incident or Battleground. That's that's a pretty big swing. I think a lot of the song and dance people wanted to get out of that kind of uh, stereotype and move into dramas because Dick Powell was big in song and, and a lot of singing, and he moved into film noir in the uh, mid '40s yeah. with uh, his first film. I love this title. Murder, my sweet. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good way to segue from song and dance to yeah. Ray, Raymond Chandler. Well, look, and looking at Battleground, that looks interesting. Van Johnson is in it, and Ricardo Montalban is in it as well. So that might be one to add to the list. It's, it's another one we might want to add. Same year, 1949. James Whitmer, Whitmore plays the battle-hardened veteran in that film who has terrible feet. <laughs> Or that's the standout feature. That's an aside. Well, for him, his feet were frostbitten. They were quite a mess. Anyway, 
It's a good movie. Good movie, yeah. A lot of these films in the uh, late 40s, early 50s at MGM were the result of Dory Sherry moving over to MGM from, I believe it was at R- he, was, he was at RKO. And one of my favorite movies, he, he was able to get that one pushed through, and it came out, Black, A Bad Day at Black Rock. Oh, yeah, that's such a good movie. Plus, he did a lot of others. But anyway, that's well, the background on this film. Well, and this movie was uh, considered kind of a low-budget film. Yes, yeah. He, he got MGM convinced that they needed to do more than these big Technicolor musical spectaculars because their cash flow was... Uh, was needing a pump up, and uh, he would do. He did a few, uh, quite a few of these. Yeah, he did. He did a movie yeah. called T Men before this, which I was reading a little bit. Or Team, yeah, T Men. That sounded pretty interesting. Kind of similar. It's like uh, two federal agents on a hunt for breaking up a counterfeiting ring. Uh, and that's what that was. Another one directed by uh, Anthony Mann. Anthony Mann, yeah. yeah. You know, the more we do these, the more I uncover all these films that. That would be fun to do, and 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 uh, we just you know we may run out of time. Before I know. We get to I, all I sometimes of feel overwhelmed because there's just so many. Oh my gosh! There's and then people send us uh, ideas for for movies, and and I think our list there's got to be you know several hundred movies long of things that we want to watch, and there's just not enough time. I really enjoy the comments from listeners where they uh, suggest films. And and we've done several of them. Yeah, we have. We try to. We try to, and then we sort of get on our own little tangent of like down going down a path of movies, like <laughs> yeah, right. the last couple ones. So that happens too. I'm, I'm laughing because of that one you sent me, the text you sent me of some of the upcoming movies. Yeah, there's a couple that I found that. Oh, yeah, see, well, this is what happens. We get on a we get on a side tangent, and uh, I got to find that one because that was hilarious. Um, yeah, the first one was called The Phantom of the Opera, which actually, from 1925, yeah, that, that one actually looked like good. Like, we should do that one. And then uh, and then I found another one called Pigs from 1973. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that didn't grab my interest so much because of the uh, movie lobby poster. I was like, holy yeah, cow. Yeah, and it's kind of Woo. super gory looking. But, um, but yeah, The Phantom of the Opera from 1925 actually be something i'd want to do yeah i would agree uh i think lon cheney is in that i think that is the one with him i think yeah. yeah um and and you really don't need the sound when he's on screen i mean he is he's phenomenal he was phenomenal yeah so we should bring this back to border incident we we're all over the place this morning well that's okay it's ricardo <laughs> montalban that's true and we and we've settled the unending question about his chest Yes, All now right. I'll be able to sleep at night knowing that that is actually his chest. So thank you for looking up that. <laughs> well, until I look up the next time and somebody <laughs> says something else, a different view. You never know on the internet. You get a lot of you get a lot of opinions. Boy, no kidding, endless. Well, I'll let you kick off our uh, review of Border Incident. Yeah. So, a um, couple themes that I wanted to talk about uh, as we're going through this. One is this idea of. Uh, using film as sort of a propaganda tool. Because um, wasn't this around the time... Was this before the blacklisting of directors? and, Or was this right around that same time? Uh, that started in around 1945, 46. Yeah. So this would have been kind of in the middle of that yeah. era. Because I was... Well, 
we can talk a little bit more about that. And then, and then the idea of, of like how people perceive like this, what's going on down at the border between us and Mexico. But anyway, uh, the movie, the movie opens up with some really great cinematography of the Southwest. And I believe they filmed this right down along the border there. So it's, it's, it's really, uh, true to what that looked like back in 1949, 48, 49. Oh, and the, the cinematography by John Alton was Yeah, terrific. it was fantastic. He did, he did a lot of film. He was a kind of a partner in, in a lot of ways with Anthony Mann. They did a lot of films together. So, so they, so this was this really cool kind of overdubbing, uh, you know, of, of kind of setting up the film. Here is the all American canal. It runs through the desert for miles along the California, Mexico border. A monument to the vision of man, the canal is the life-giving artery of water that feeds the vast farm empire of the Imperial Valley of Southern California. Out of this desert wasteland, man's industry has made a flourishing garden. Farming in Imperial Valley is a great industry. Here, a single field of prosaic carrots or lettuce or flax or melons may be worth a half million dollars. This great agricultural empire is important to the entire United States. Nature never waits. When the crops are ready, they must be harvested. This means manpower, a vast army of farm workers who must be available when needed. And this army of workers comes from our neighbor to the south, from Mexico. For the Imperial Valley of California, like many other farm areas of the great southwest, is almost entirely dependent on Mexican labor. These workers prepare the land and harvest the food for our tables. And so, all along the border from Texas to California, Mexican farm workers, braceros they are called, meaning those who work with their hands and arms, are waiting on the Mexican side to be okayed, to receive the coveted American work permits or crossing cards. Most of these braceros obey the laws of both countries and wait at the border to enter the United States legally under the treaty between the Mexican and American governments. But there are other braceros who come and go illegally, who jump the fence. These Mexican illegal entrants work in the United States for a while and upon returning to Mexico are often robbed of their savings by bandits who infest both sides of the border. It is this problem of human suffering and injustice about which you should know. The following composite case is based upon factual information supplied by the Immigration and Naturalization Service of the United States Department of Justice. I, mean, I, I wondered what you thought about that um, that opening where they're they're flying over the fields and they're basically it's sort of like setting it up like we need these folks to come from Mexico to help us harvest all these crops and this is like a good thing right like they that's kind of how i I interpreted that i think that's an accurate uh, reflection of that of that time because uh, they needed the workers to harvest all the crops when they became uh, ripe because there weren't enough workers in the united states that were available to do that and so the they had a whole program called the bracero program where they would get uh, people to come over i don't know if it was a day labor pass or a weekly pass but the film kind of touches on that near the early part i kind of got the feeling that it was like a seasonal pass like they would stay for the season of harvest and then they would go go back 
but it was you're it, right that's what it was yeah, and yeah. it was totally illegal and people would and so people would wait in 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 line kind of near the at the border town and they would get called up to get one of these passes and then they would go and and this is sort of like the legal part of how that worked but then there was like the of course there's like the seedy underbelly of like the crime uh, aspects of this where if you if you couldn't wait to get called up or if you didn't get one of these passes but you still needed to work for the money to you know help your family back in Mexico then you would you would hire somebody to help you get smuggled across the border and then that kind of sets up uh, where it's basically saying like the reason that we need to have border security is to protect these folks that are coming across the border because what's happening is that they're getting murdered when they go back over into Mexico and getting robbed of, of their money. So really the reason that we need the border security is to help protect these folks. I think that's the, the whole kind of message underneath this because of the program. Those, those workers were all up and down the, uh, the U.S. I, I believe they went as far up as in the... Um, Wenatchee area for you know fruit picking and all. Oh, absolutely! Like that, and that's still, and there's still migrant workforces that come in and help with the apple picking and uh, harvesting. And maybe now there's a lot of hops that are grown, like kind of like around the Yakima area and Tri Cities, and and of course the wine industry in in Washington is booming. So I know that there's a really high demand for for uh, folks to come in and help with harvesting all that. The I, two two things come to mind as we talk about the opening of the film. One is the uh, partnership between the two agents. Ricardo Montalban's character is representing the Mexican uh, government. His name is Pablo Rodriguez, and George Murphy, the United States uh, Service, Jack uh, Barons Bernas. Can't pronounce that name correctly, but anyway, they're working together in partnership, and I thought that's that's a theme that kind of goes on throughout the whole film, and uh, it led me to th- wonder, you know, is there a lot of that going on now between the two uh, governments in terms of agents and investigations? So that was one thing, and then the other one is the scene where all of those people were waiting to see whether they would get a pass to come across the border was was in many ways kind of a tragic scene because so few were called. Yeah, and I you thought... Know, there was that huge crowd. And they could be there for days, or, or, or I don't yeah. even know, maybe longer. Uh, but the yeah, that the, the way they set up that relationship between Pablo Rodriguez and Jack Burns, I guess, or Burns, uh, is great because they're sitting around a table, I think, somewhere in some federal office, and they're sort of reminiscing about how they had worked together in the past. And Since these people work together to break the law, we will work together to enforce the law. You've worked with one another before. Of course. Oh, Pablo here, sure, we're old friends. We worked on a case together in Brownsville, Texas, years ago. Uh, incidentally, whatever happened to that very pretty girl? She was about 20 years old, the one we picked up in Matamoros. Oh, yes. Well, the last I heard of her, she was getting much less beautiful in a prison in Tamaulipas. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. No, no. Do you wish to continue with these personal reminiscences? Well, this was an awful pretty girl, senor. Yes, it certainly was. Hey, Captain, tell them your plan. Well, I, um, I intend to become a bracero. I will appear in Mexicali and uh, be very impatient to come to the United States. Now, I can be very impatient, as you know. So, things will occur, and uh, 
when someone approaches me to be smuggled over the border, why things will happen. A fellow could get himself killed that way, couldn't he? <laughs> well, this is one of the less attractive aspects of the job. Well, that sounds good. Now, if Captain Rodriguez will smoke out that end of the situation... Well, we what can... I had in mind, uh, I'll follow Pablo, you see, and I'll nail down all the contacts that he makes. Now, that'll take care of the Mexican side. And as far as the American side is concerned, I thought if I had some illegal crossing permits that are numbered, wherever they turn up, we've got a complete case. And we may be able to knock off both ends in the same operation. It's a good plan. Yeah, I liked I liked the fact that they had a really cool, like, working relationship and and they were in it together you know like they were real partners in trying to help stop this uh, crime ring that was going on yeah it was very uh collegial i think is the word that comes to mind um so i think that lays out the plot i think there's two two elements to the plot one the uh, the uh, nature of the people that were trying to come across to find work and the huge number of them and then the the uh, detective undercover criminal element that was involved, led by uh, Howard De Silva's character Owen Parkson, and he was one evil dude. He was slimy. Like that's the word that came to mind when I saw him. He's just like a slime ball. Yeah. And boy, did he have a group of enforcers. Both on the he the, had a, enforcers both on the Mexican side and on the U.S. side. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that, just to, to jump back to the illegal part where people were paying money to come across. Uh, that scene where Ricardo Montalban now is undercover. Right, because he's gonna pr he's gonna pose as a procero and he's gonna try to get smuggled over the border to uh, to figure out who's running this operation. When that when they when he's in that kind of a shack area. And that woman comes out to check on people that they're going to take across the border illegally. She was scary. She was scary. And you knew that he was in trouble at that point because she's checking everybody's hands to see how rough they are. And his hands are not rough because he doesn't work in the field. So he had to do some quick thinking to... I loved what he said, though. Like, just because I'm not a Procero now doesn't mean that I don't want to be a Procero. And then another person says, why would anybody want to be a Procero? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. that. So the, these two themes, for me, continue through the whole film. The, 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 the uh, illegal aspect and the, uh, the plight of these people that were trying to make a living for their families for survival. Well, and it's what, what's really tragic to me was, like, you think that they're going to go into the U.S. and they're going to make some money and bring that back to their families. But as the movie unfolds, like, the way that they get transported to the farms, oh, God, you know, yeah. in the back of that truck, and, and there's that one older guy who, who doesn't make it. What are you doing? We ain't freighting corpses. It's wrong to leave him in the desert like that. You want to stay and keep him company? And I thought that, and, and that scene in the truck where they're being transported through the desert was, that was really well done. And again, the cinematography is amazing. Uh, but you just, I just felt so claustrophobic and and I was just I was thinking like how awful that would have been to have to be transported like that well I was I was I agree I was thinking first of all it's probably really hot 
and it's like in a they're like packed in there like they're in coffins yeah like in the back of this truck and it brought to mind some of these uh television dramas that are on now where they'll open up a, a uh one of those big cargo shipping containers things, yeah. and it's full of people that have been illegally smuggled into the country. So it's kind of yeah, it's a, yeah, a little bit like human it's trafficking. In many ways, yeah. many ways, it's, it's it's as prevalent today as it was seventy years ago when this film was made. Uh, th- uh, that was that was frightening to me. Well, and that, then, that you would be so desperate that you would put yourself at risk like that. Well, and that that's the part that really kind of broke my heart was because they're they're not really well educated and they don't they're not really doing the math in terms of like how much money they're actually going to make. So when they get to the farm and they start working and Ricardo Montalban's character like does the math and says, now we get 25 cents American an hour. We work 10 hours a day. That's $2 and 50 cents a day. We work six days a week. That's $15 a week. But the mayordomo then takes $3 from each one of us for himself and $6 for our meals. So, amigos, we then have for ourselves $6. And how much is this in our national money? That's 41 pesos, 10 centavos. Are you sure, Pablo? Yes. Even in Guadalajara, we earn more. It is like this everywhere? No, no, no. Most ranches pay legal wages. That's where I'm going. Where they pay what is right. You can't, compadre. You can't. None of us can. We're here against the law, so the law can't help us. It was basically like slave labor, almost. Like they were—they really weren't making anything. And whatever made, whatever they made, then they—they they, they ran the risk of being killed on the way back home. Right, and they had no power to. And they even said this in the movie, like, "Well, too bad. I mean, yeah, maybe that's true, but you have zero power here because you're here illegally. So, like, what are you going to do?" Yeah, uh, one one of the one of the other bad guys, Jack Lambert, who plays Chuck, and and he he made a he made a career out of playing these guys, was was awful. I think he was the one that said to them, "You don't have any choice. Get in the truck." Yeah, you know it's it's amazing because what what brought it home to me is that I I I believe from what I read and what I've heard and people talk about that's going on today. Exactly. That's that's what's so interesting about this movie is, and I'm glad that it, it was on uh, Turner Classic Movies, right? And you were you you just happened to have the TV on and you saw it, and that's kind of how. It, yes. Yeah. So I caught I caught a part of it, and I thought we've got to watch this because it's so relevant to to today's time. Yeah, I think so too. And, uh, it may have been relevant a hundred year from a hundred years ago. I don't know. So, but really but if you kind of take a step back and sort of from more of a meta level of like the it's a it's a film and you know it was made out of Hollywood, and I felt like there's there's some discussion of this online as well about how they kind of set it up as a propaganda of how idyllic it it should be. That opening scene where they're flying. These brutal murders of defenseless braceros, the latest of a number along the border, spur two governments to new and drastic efforts. From Mexico City come Colonel Rafael Alvarado, a high official in the Policia Judicial Federal, the FBI of Mexico, and Pablo Rodriguez, one of the PJF's foremost investigators. From Washington come Assistant Commissioner of Immigration, John McReynolds, and Inspector Jack Burns, who has just finished a tour of duty along the Gulf. 
these officials of Mexico and of the United States arrive for a meeting at the governor's palace in Mexicali across the border from the California town of Calexico. To me, is very sort of like I. This is this is how the, the way that we wish that it was almost, you know. Yeah, yeah, that that's very true. That, and I yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that was done to stay to make the film possible to be produced with the code that was in effect at that time. I don't know. I don't know that. Maybe but. they didn't want to get too political. Like there is definitely some political parts to this, but I I wondered if they put that in at the beginning to sort of like keep it more in line with what Hollywood would have accepted as, as being able to be made at that time. And then they could move into some of these other areas because there are some really horrific scenes in this that play as well today as they did 70 years ago. The, the, the uh, part with the, uh, that machine that runs down George Murphy's character, what's it called? Um, a mechanized harrow, a harrow, <laughs> and I'm like, my God, you know that that could be that could be on on one of the shows now. Well, I gotta say television. that George Murphy's character really got the short end of the stick on the partnership, Ooh. though, because he got yeah. he, so he was playing a character that was on the run, essentially, like he was uh, supposed to be a criminal that had stolen uh, a whole bunch of passes, like like several hundred passes uh, that are used to allow folks to come over the border. And he was posing as somebody that trying to sell those to the criminals that were smuggling people over. And they don't, they don't really believe him at first and they capture him and they start torturing him. And I thought oh, that yeah, was brutal no too. I think they were electrocuting him. Like they had him hooked up to the battery of the truck. Do you remember that scene? Yes, I, I do, and it, it, I just this just came into my mind. I watched, I just in the last couple of days, I watched a, a newer movie uh, with Michael Keaton as the uh, lead spy called American Assassins. Oh yeah, it's been out a couple of years. That that same scene is in that movie. <laughs> Jeez, that was in there. They, they're torturing him with these battery cables, and I'm like, good God, you know. Yeah, but yeah, he, he did get the short end of the stick. He didn't. He didn't break though. So that so he ends up. On the U.S. side, talking to the big, uh, the big boss, you know, as we said, played by Howard De Silva, and he he does make a deal to sell those uh, passes. But the uh, Howard De Silva's character Owen Parkson won't let him leave the farm because he he's not he's still not a hundred percent convinced that that something's not going on here. Yeah, and so he's got him kind of locked upstairs in the in in his in his house in this room. Um. And he, and uh, the, again, uh, uh, Owen Parkson, the the uh, leader of the of the criminals, is checking out the story uh, in Kansas City, where supposedly George Murphy's character got these passes, and he f they find out something about him, and that further. Well, they they that, find out that, that, that it, he's lying because the guy that he yeah. was supposed to have bought them from was was in jail and couldn't have sold them to him, so. That part of his story falls apart, and then he finds out that he's been found out. I think I might be getting this a little bit wrong, but this also coincides with the fact that Ricardo Montalban's character, Pablo, is at the same farm as him. And Yes, he sneaks up to uh, to visit with him in his room. Yeah, so they, they sort of like confer real quick and figure out what's going on and compare notes, and uh, Pablo almost gets caught at that point. Uh, but 
then I think they all get rounded up because now they've got these passes so they can, they can actually send these folks that they smuggled in out to the farm. And Pablo is one of the people that's going to get sent out to the farm. So he gets put in a truck. And at the same time, uh, Jack Burns is getting taken away to basically be killed. I think because they figured out that yeah. he's not who he says he is. He's a federal agent. And then Pablo sees that this is happening and commandeers that truck that they've been been loaded into to take off to the farm. And they try to save Jack's life. But Jack gets shot out in the middle of this field by these two guys. And then that mechanized harvesting thing starts coming at him. And it was going excruciatingly slow and he oh it was terrible and he couldn't get out of the way cuz he'd been shot and beaten up and he was he was trying as hard as he could to move and get out of the way but he couldn't and i have to say that the first thing that came to my mind was the Austin Powers scene where the giant uh, concrete roller is moving towards those guys and oh, they don't they yeah. won't move out of the way <laughs> yes yes uh, and i kept hoping that since george murphy was one of the leads in this there was going to be some man, uh, miraculous Rescued by Ricardo Montalban and the other guy that's with him that's uh, one of the Braceros that yeah. actually becomes a part of the the, the uh, effort to get rid of these bad guys. But they can't rescue they can't rescue George Murphy's character. And McGraw, uh, Charles McGraw, the driver of that thing, is a sociopath or a psychopath or both. Yeah, that was brutal. I, did, I mean, I did not expect that in this film. That From was, an, wow. From a 1949 film? Yeah, I mean, it's no. not like they showed him like getting chopped up, but almost. I mean, they kind of left it to your imagination, which is almost worse. <laughs> so I think I think it was worse because the last scene is of Murphy's face up close, screaming. Yeah, yeah, wow, terrifying. Anyway, well, another so yeah, so it, there's some really dark scenes, and then um, yes, the scene. Yeah, I already mentioned the scene where they're getting smuggled in the back of that truck, and then. There's a scene near the end where they're uh, get they're they're trying to es no they're not escaping back to Mexico they're they're being taken back kind of close to the border to be killed like because yeah again this is all kind of like part of the plot where the illegal folks are taken off and killed and robbed and uh, they're in these kind of like canyons along the border and there's apparently quicksand. And there's some great gun gunfight scenes where there's some folks up on top of the ridge and then there's some folks down in the valley and uh, they're shooting at each other. And I thought that was pretty well done and, and pretty tense. Very much so. And and the uh, leader of the bad guys, Howard De Silva, uh, comes to a rightful end. Yeah, I love the scene where, um, where Howard De Silva's character uh, says to Charles McGraw's character... Hey. What do you think you're doing? Called us up good, didn't you? You're always so smart, so careful. A mastermind nobody could touch. Brother, when you flop, you flop good. Are you crazy? No, I'm not crazy. Just getting smart, that's all. You're going with us, Parkson. For once, I want you to see what your dirty work looks like. I don't know anything about these you things. You can learn. Yeah, and so um, he really had what was coming to him come to him there at the end. It was good. There's a lot. There's a lot of plots going on, subplots within this film. Uh, it, 
uh, I think I'm gonna watch we, it. Again. I think covered... I'm gonna watch it again today now that we've been talking about it because I, I think it's just one of those movies that is really interesting to watch and and the cinematography. I just can't get over how good the cinematography was. Well, and the story gets more and more complex. And didn't you find it draws you into it? I mean, it's really it does, and especially if you can empathize with the folks that are trying to get work in the U S you know, and, and they really spent a good deal of time on the border town talking about why folks would want to come across the border and, and why the, even though it's so dangerous. And I think there's a line where Pablo says to one of the, one of the proceros, like life is short, you know, don't throw your life away. Um, cause he was, he was going to, his friend that he made there was going to get smuggled across the border too. And Pablo's like, well, don't, yeah. don't do it. Don't, it's not worth it. Um, cause he, you know, he obviously knows a lot more about what's going on being the federal agent. I might watch it again too. I, I know they, I, I don't have it now, but I could watch it. It's, it's available. Yeah. I still have it from, uh, still have it from Netflix. So it's on Netflix DVD service. You can get it, get it again. Um, good me. So my rating on this film, I'm going to give it an eight. It has it has so much going for it, and it's so pertinent to today, and and the way it's directed and and uh, photographed, I I just I think it's excellent. Yeah, I was even going to go for a nine because it's go for it. Yeah. yeah, I think it's 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 one of those movies that you could you could kind of write it off as being a low budget sort of film noir knockoff kind of film crime drama that they'd made just to try to get some cash flow coming in. Um, but the more that I think about it and the more we talk about it, the more it really brings out some great ideas and discussion around that whole situation down at the border and why it's just as relevant today as it was in 1949 and why, you know, what's going on is really just, victimizing these people that just are trying to make a better life for themselves, you know, like they're the ones who are really taking the brunt of it. I think that, I think that, that part of the plot is what moves it up to a higher rating for me because it's, it's so relevant to today. I have to say that uh, sometimes when we're, you know, a lot of times when we're doing these movie reviews, I'll, I'll go on to IMDb and read the reviews of, you know, people that have watched the film and left a review on there. And, this is another one of those films that gets split between like threes and fours and, and nines and tens. <laughs> so Really? What's a comment for someone that would rate it a three or a four? Uh, slow paced, uh, shallow story, uh, not, not, wow. not what they expected because they thought maybe it was more film noir. Um, oh, so okay. I, think, I think it's, it, again, I think it's really dependent upon what it is that you're taking away from it as you're watching it and, uh, and also what your expectations are going in that makes a big difference I think one of the other things that I really like about it is the outstanding acting by Ricardo Montalban yeah he did he, he was, was so, so talented good. so good well actually and George Murphy I thought did really well too yes yeah they both did but when I think about Ricardo Montalban I, I can't think of a movie that I've watched I haven't watched all his movies but I don't think I don't think he ever did a bad performance. Yeah, it was it's kind of it's kind of too bad too in a way because he got a bit typecast into like the Latin lover sort of uh, role when yeah. he first got started, and he he apparently was really 
taking off in Mexico and was becoming a pretty big star. And then Hollywood sort of discovered him, quote unquote. And I, yeah, I just, I almost wonder if he couldn't have been a bigger star, uh, given, given some different roles, but uh, I think so. I, I really do. I mean, I, I hate to say it. I, I hate to say, but I think because he was, uh, from Mexico, I think that kind of automatically, cast him and you know, typecast him into certain roles unfortunately I have a uh, I read about him I hope I get this right near the end of his life he uh, he was in a wheelchair and he, he made a presentation I don't know the group that he talked to but he said there's the five stages of Ricardo Montalban <laughs> oh really cool and, and, and it goes like it, stage one is who is Ricardo Montalban stage two is get me Ricardo Montalban the third stage is, find me a younger Ricardo Montalban. The fourth stage is, find me a Ricardo Montalban lookalike. And the stage five is, who is Ricardo Montalban? Oh, my goodness. And I guess, I haven't seen it. I think it's probably on YouTube. I guess the audience just went wild. That's he, perfect. He, he, he kind of capsulized his life just like we talked about it. Yeah. It was never quite what it might have been. Although, you know, Fantasy Island was a huge hit. I never really watched it that much, but gosh, it was on for... I think it was on for six seasons I was reading about season, it. Yeah, yeah. It was a pretty long time for back then. So we liked the movie, huh? Yeah, it was it was a really good choice. I mean, just kind of for just off-the-cuff sort of picking that, I thought it was really good. I, I like the research I went through in order to uncover this film. I turned on my television, and there it was. You never know. You never know. You just <laughs> got to be aware know. of like your surroundings. <laughs> so what's up in our uh, next podcast? So, yeah, we're going to finally get around to uh, North by Northwest by Alfred uh, Hitchcock. Yes. And I was thinking we might want to maybe even make that a two-part, because I, I bet there's just going to be a ton to talk about in that movie. I already have a lot of things that I want to talk about. There will be. I just, uh, it, mine is on its way to me. I thought I had a copy of it here in my library, and I don't. I don't know. I thought I had. Anyway, it's, I'll have it uh, tomorrow, and I'll watch it again for the 27th time. It, I never get tired of it. The one, the scene that stands out for me is the one at the uh, Mount Rushmore. Um, man, I, I don't know. why. Whenever I think of that movie, I think of that scene, and then I think of the scene where the airplane is strafing him and trying to shoot him. <laughs> yeah. Well, for me, you know, uh, Alfred Hitchcock loved these big set pieces at the end of films. In Saboteur from the early 1940s, it ends at the Statue of Liberty. There, He reconstructed the Statue of Liberty for the ending. Wow. And I think he did, you know, that Mount Rushmore, the same thing. But the other thing I love about North by Northwest, Cary Grant is in the entire movie with the same suit. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and he goes to hell, and he gets to a hotel in Chicago and says, he calls the room service and says, can you steam and press the suit in 20 minutes? <laughs> and and it, looks, it looks wonderful. And there's always a debate about where the suit came. There are two schools of thought. I don't remember what they are right now. One was he got it uh, in London, and the other one was from a tailor here in Los Angeles. You mean like the, the actual real suit that he was wearing? The actual real oh. suit, yeah. Where, who was who was the maker of that suit? That suit went through hell. Yeah, that's that'll be fun to talk about. That'll be good. Oh yeah, it's a it's a, it's it's a great movie. It really is. I think one of Hitchcock's best. 
So that'll be super fun. And yeah, we might end up, we might want to schedule a little bit more time because we're going to probably go on for quite a while. <laughs> and then I, I can break it into a couple different episodes. Chapter one and chapter two. Remember when we reviewed, um, oh gosh, it was one of our early, it was one of our first reviews and we went scene by scene through the whole uh, I, Double, I think it was Double Indemnity. Yeah, Double well, Indemnity. We did, we, yeah. I think we did that with several in the early days. Yeah. Because we, we had two or three that we had to do in, in two segments. Yeah, that was kind of fun. We might think about that. Um, but any, anyway, that's what's coming up next, North by Northwest. And uh, yeah, you've been listening to our review of Border Incident. And I'm Matt Johnson coming to you from sunny Seattle. And Bob Johnson here in Los Angeles wishing everybody happy movie watching. And so this action in the desert was concluded. Murder, robbery, rescue. All these things that are true and part of the record. Here in a simple ceremony at the Governor's Palace in Mexicali, Mexico's highest honor is awarded posthumously to Inspector Jack Burns. And here too is presented to Pablo Rodriguez, America's recognition for his contribution in destroying and rounding up the human vultures who prey on unsuspecting victims. The life in the valley goes on. The food is brought from the earth by the hands of the workers now safe and secure, living under the protection of two great republics and the bounty of God Almighty. I'm now recording. All right, me too. Earth to Matt. Earth to Hello, Matt. Hello, Matt. Matt to Earth outer to space. Outer space, that'd be me. <laughs> uh, I've, I've enjoyed your Instagram uh, photos. Do you take those with your phone? Yeah. Ooh, this morning it's, it's like spring out. It looks, it's really pretty out. You know, I for the life of me, I cannot figure out where exactly you're walking because they've changed that park a lot well it wasn't even a park when you lived here it was just a cow pasture yeah that well that would explain it when uh, and nancy is is a firm believer that there are no elk because every time we go to north bend i said we're going to go look at the elk <laughs> they're never they're, they're, they're never there and then, then we went to uh cheyenne a couple weeks ago for board meeting and driving up from denver i said now when we get up across the wyoming border we'll be able to see all those buffalo that we saw last time we were here, not a single one. Oh, jeez! It's like they all went over the hill or something. Yeah, the elk are the elk are kind of hit or miss. Yeah, you seem to just only be missing them. And then we missed the buffalo. Was it elk? Well, I guess we missed both. Anyway, but we did see antelope, so that was good. <laughs> well. um Let's see. Anything else? I'm I'm ready if you are. I'm ready. Did you, and you did some okay. research on Ricardo Montalban's chest, right? So we, we got that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> and uh, according to my research, yes, 
I will I will reveal that during our podcast. <laughs>